Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing with some of the koans from the Book of Serenity, the Book of Equanimity, it's sometimes called. And uh, people struggle with these koans because they say they're out there. It's like listening to music, maybe listening to Stravinsky, if you're not used to the Rite of Spring. What was he on about? Listening to Coltrane blow his sax. What's that all about? If your ear is not attuned to it, you don't get what the guy is blowing. But uh, these koans are actually supposed to be for our life. If they don't have practical, down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, day-to-day use, then what is our Zen practice about? But at the same time, people struggle because they're not our usual way of looking at things. And the job, I think, of a, the guy who's supposed to be the guide on this tour, the, the, that's me, is to kind of push at both sides. If you neglect one side, if you just look for a two-worldly view, then you're missing some subtleties, our wonderful Zen wisdom that's not our usual way of looking at the world. But at the other hand, if you're too far out there, you also miss something. If you're too down-to-earth and practical about this, you miss something. I often say that these koans, like all the Zen teachings, have many simultaneously true views and also the viewless, I sometimes say, because it's beyond subject and object and you and me. There are many views and the viewless on these koans. So let's look at a few of them. First one is one... um, from a few weeks ago. I I always like to read the main case first and then get to the surrounding verses. Attention, Ungan asked Dogo, what does the great compassionate Bodhisattva do when she uses her manifold hands and eyes? Dogo said, it's like a man who reaches behind him at night to search for his pillow. Ungan said, I understand. Dogo said, what do you understand? Ungan said, All over the body are hands and eyes. Dogo said, you've really said it. Mm, You got 80% of it. Ungan asked, elder brother, how about you? Dogo replied, throughout the body are hands and eyes. This is uh, about Canon, who's a symbol for us of all that's compassionate. She or he, he's he's kind of... uh, beyond he or she, he's both, all, all of us, uh, is the bodhisattva who heard the suffering of the world and sees the suffering of all the world and reaches out with, would you reach over there and get that statue and bring it over for me? 
It's okay. You're not going to be rude. Give a little bow and bring it over. I know I got, we have a, just give a little bow and bring it over. Sees and hears the suffering of all the world and um, reaches out to help. And this koan reminds us that, um, here we go. I happen to have this. I, I got this in um, Korea. And you see it's a cannon with all the arms and legs. Where can we put this? Mm. It's all right. I'll put it, just put it here. You'll see. And um, with those thousand arms and eyes, she's hearing and reaching out to help the suffering of the world. And I often say that your hands and my hands in this world are the hands of cannon who reach out to help. When you do uh, any gesture um, of good in this world with your hand, your hands are the hands of cannon. When you hold a weapon and you do violence in this world, your hands are the hands of Mara, who's our symbol of ignorance. So it's up to you. Every moment is practice. Is your hand a gentle hand? Is your hand a violent hand? Is your mouth speaking words of peace? And then it's Canon's mouth, the Buddha's mouth. Or are you speaking words of greed? Is your heart filled with anger? Then your heart and your mouth is the mouth and heart of Mara, our symbol of ignorance, you see. So all over the body are hands and eyes, and you are that body. But... Dogo reminded us that's only 80%. And there's something else of this koan that we cannot neglect. Zen is also pointing to a natural compassion that is in every grain of sand, every drop of rain, even perhaps in all our actions, even the, how to say it, though hidden to our eyes because of Mara. There's a natural compassion that fills this world just as, as the sun is always shining, even when hidden by the ugly black storming clouds. So I believe that this koan, too, is speaking of a natural beauty, peace, flow, gratitude, a natural compassion that is there no matter what we do or don't do. This is also our thousand arms of canon. And if you read some of the surrounding verse, you'll see some of what that means. The eight compass points, bright and clear, that means the world in all directions is bright and clear. The 10 directions unobstructed. Everywhere, bright light shakes the earth. All the time, there is marvelous functioning in the supernatural. I looked at this word supernatural. It might be better to say something like something wondrous, something miraculous, something incredible, sacred, beautiful. Tell me, how can this occur? And the appreciatory verse says, one whole penetrates space. Eight directions are clear and bright. Without forms, without self, spring follows the rules. Although nature may sometimes look to us to be harsh, 
it follows its own rules. There is a natural beauty and peace to the world that's beyond our selfish individual human concerns that separate ourselves from everything we consider not ourselves. When we transcend that selfish view, we find this natural, natural compassion that fills all the world. It continues, unstopped, unhindered, the moon traverses the sky. The spring follows the rules. The moon tra traverses the sky. It's not something we cause to happen, you see. It's not if you don't like the moon traversing the sky, whether you like the moon traversing the sky, nothing to do with it. The moon follows its own beautiful path. Clean, pure, jeweled eyes and virtuous arms. And it continues like that. The last line says, the great function is everywhere. How could there be any hindrance? So my job here today to you is to point you in both directions. It's vital that you act with peace. Keep a hand of compassion and love to help others. Don't be holding a weapon in anger. Don't have your heart filled with greed because those are the clouds that obstruct the bright moon, that obstruct the sun. Yet, yet, the moon and sun are always there, seen or unseen. Therefore, do not forget the natural compassion that fills the ten directions, even in what we consider sometimes the ugly. It's there. It's there. Human eyes, in our judging, cannot see, but it's there. Okay? So we don't look at these koans just in one way. Kind of got that? Now the next koan speaks to me as an old guy today. <clears throat> because, let me tell you, <clears throat> poor Toksan, he's an old fellow, comes down to breakfast um, a little early, and uh, his uh, young student gives him what for. Let's read this koan. Attention. Seppo served as cook while at Tokusan's monastery. One day the meal was late. That kind of indicates that the cook is, uh, <clears throat> something's happened in the kitchen, gone wrong perhaps. Old master Tokusan arrived at the Dharma hall, hall holding his bowls. Was it just out of habit? Today, uh, you know, at the start, because the morning, this, you know, I get up at seven o'clock for this, which is, you know, you're, you're, it's the evening for most of you, but it's early for me. So, and I went to light the incense and I realized, oh, wait a second, we're too early here today. It was my force of habit. You know, I stand at the altar, I put the candle and I started to light the incense. I mean, started to light the candle and I realized, oh, no, no, I had to put the candle out. Premature candle, right? And Kionin a little bit today, you forgot the Heart Sutra and the dedication and you're banging your Mokagyo a little late and a couple of other things I'll talk to you about later. It happens, force of habit. We get so much into our way of doing things that we forget, well, meal is a little late. Tokusan just comes down anyway. Maybe he, he thought, oh, it's six o'clock, time to come down. Seppo remarked, oh, fella, the gong has not yet rung. The drum has not yet sounded. So where are you going with the bowls? I would say to Seppo, and Seppo, why are you late? What's going on in the kitchen there? Huh? Got to have a tighter ship around this place. And that... Tokusan returned to his quarters. Seppo told Ganto about this. I believe Ganto would be his young student, 
Tokusan and Seppo's younger student. And uh, Ganto remarked, young smartass that he is, as you might expect, Tokusan does not yet understand the last word. Hearing of this, Tokusan called an attendant to sum summon young Ganto and asked, don't you approve of this old monkey, young whippersnapper? Ganto whispered his intended meeting, whereupon Tokusan desisted. The next day, when he went to the Dharma Hall to speak, Tokusan was not the same as usual. Now, there, there's an ambiguity here. Was Ganto just a young smartass who thought he knew better than the old teacher? I run into these folks all the time. My 12-year-old my kid understands this world much better than me, believe me now, and lets me know every day, every day, how ignorant his old dad is about the world. And sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes my son is right. So an old dog, you know the expression, an old dog must always learn new tricks. I don't care who you are, and I don't care how long you've been coming down to the meal or chanting the Heart Sutra or doing lighting the candles. Every time is the first time. And we must always remember that an old dog can learn from, as there's a saying, an old koan says, if a three-year-old child has something to teach me, I learn from a three-year-old child. You must never be so prideful. So this koan is a kind of ambiguous here about whether Ganto is just a, the young smartass know-it-all or actually if he really set Tokusan straight on something. So rubbing his hands and laughing, Ganto cried, luckily the old fellow has understood the last word. From now on, no one under heaven will be able to prevail over him. There are so many ways. This is such a rich koan, and, and commentaries always are looking at it from so many different angles. You know, every day is different. Every day is a new precious jewel. I've lit the incense uh, uh, 10,000 times, and no two times are ever exactly the same. You've probably done your job or done your day uh, 10,000 times. It's not the same. I mean, I, I do all Yesterday, I, every morning I get up, I make the coffee. I have a, we have a coffee maker here. You know, simplest thing. Open it, put the filter in, put the coffee, add the water, push the button. You're done. So yesterday, after doing this for 100,000 times, I did it. And I went back and I said, oh, what's this? I had put the filter, put the water, and I'd forgotten the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we must realize that every day is a new day. The Buddhist teachings are constantly alive because every situation that manifests is a new opportunity. I was talking about Canon's 10,000 hands and, and arms. One moment you can be speaking in peace. The next minute you could be speaking with anger. Every moment is a new opportunity for practice, you see. The way the light is, same garden. We have a garden right out the door here. Today's cloudy. It does not look like the same garden as just yesterday, which was sunny. It's now spring in July. It's now summer, and it looks a little different from just a couple of weeks ago when it was spring. Same garden, same us, same coffee, same incense, yet always different. I think that's what this... Koan is pointing to, and I think it's intentionally ambiguous on that point, as you'll see that there's a couple of question marks there. So let's read the preface. Ice is colder than water, 
Green derives from blue. Maybe this is something like saying the young student comes from the old teacher. But is green better than blue? Does blue have something to learn from green? When one's viewpoint excels that of the teacher, one is ready for transmission, transmission of the Dharma to become a teacher yourself. Something we've been talking about in the forum this last few days. If the children who are raised are not equal to their parents, the family will decline in a single generation. That was true in China a thousand years ago, and it's true in New Jersey today, I think. I was just watching, what is this, Jersey Shore? I just happened to be flicking through the channels there, and this show came on Jersey Shore. That family, boy, I'm going to tell you something. Decline in a single generation, I think. Anyway, if you've ever seen that show. Tell me. Who is the one who snatches up the father's function? Who's the one who's telling dad he knows better? Like I said, if, I, if it comes to, for example, working, you, you said you were going to send me a text today. And I have to admit, you know, I'm still, I'm all thumbs in, in, on texting and not in a good way, right? My son will set me straight. So he's a big texter. The last word, understood or not, question mark. Is there ever a last word? Does the world ever stop turning? Does the moon, as we saw in the last koan, ever stop traversing the sky, constantly changing? The moon, one moment is up there. The next minute, it's over in this part of the sky. The next day, it's in a different position. Tokusan, fathers and sons are exceedingly abstruse. Within the group, there's a guest from Conan. Don't sing the partridge's song before men. The explanation of this is uh, apparently Conan's a place famous for its partridges. So the, the uh, commentary by Shishin Week tries to make the point that uh, partridges understand partridges, but uh, maybe we don't understand with the language of men. But anyway, that's that koan. Be kind to the old folks like me. That's, what I, that's the message I get out. You young whippersnappers. Okay. Ungan's great compassionate one. By the way, these koans, you know, it's nice. Sometimes in most Zen talks, people pick one koan or two koans and they kind of talk about it. I just like putting these koans that are just in the book in order and we go through them and, and connections and relationships appear to them that just because they're together. It's a little bit like um, saying that... Um, the author, when he put the, made this collection, must have had some reason to put these koans side by side. So he saw some relationships there. Ungan's great compassionate one. This is, this is a very good one. Again, about not seeing the world in a single way. Attention, Ungan asked Dogo. Oh, yeah. Your teacher, by the way, <laughs> I just thought, there I go. I'm just reading koan number one again. There you go. There you see? I, I often say that this is a Zen group. We teach mindfulness here. How to, how, how to, how to not be mindful is how you learn mindfulness sometimes. Mishi's white rabbit. Attention. Uh, the attention you find in many of these koans was just a very traditional way to say, hey, listen up. Lend an ear. Here we go. When Mishi Haku was accompanying Tozan, 
uh, Uncle Me, he's sometimes called. He was kind of Tozan's uh, mentor, I believe. He saw a white rabbit run across in front of them. Mishihaku said, how quick. By the way, some of the translators say this would be better of something like, how graceful, how graceful, how elegant, how, how to say, um, how graceful. And Tozan said, how's that? Mishi replied, it's like a commoner being appointed magistrate. Magistrate was a high government official in uh, old China. And Tozan chided, as great and experienced a, per a person as you using such words. Mishi said, how about you? The ancestor's crown has sunk low for a time. Now this is a con also about beyond high and low, you know, I think. It's very much like the uh, canon koan we saw at the beginning, which said that even when it's hidden from the eyes, all things have this wonderful compassion, this wonderful jewel-like quality to them, even when the moon is hidden by the dark clouds of our ignorance, right? And this, too, says that when we get by the um, separation of self and other, when we stop our human tendency for a moment of judging the world as the good things and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the high and the low, the low is high and the high is low and it's all, how to say it, held high in a way that the Buddha, a big H high, not high like a trip to Colorado these days to smoke high, I'm talking about H-I-G-H High in the sky. It's all, how to say, oh, here's, a, here's a good way. It's all precious. It's all a jewel. You see? And the, the uh, preface and the, the appreciatory verse are all these images of high and low and low and high. And some, some of it all held in a Buddha's eye. It's all precious. It's all a jewel. It's all high. Although one is forever sinking down, one doesn't see the sage's liberation. In the hall of constant torment, even in hell, Devadatta experienced the joy of the third stage of Zen. Devadatta was a troublemaking monk in the old days, in the old stories, and some people, he went to hell. But the, the point here is uh, something like, it's just a reference to say something like, even hell, though it feels like hell, to a Buddha is a Buddha's heaven. Who The hell is of our own making, perhaps. Like we make the clouds with our own eyes that obstruct the moon and the sun. The moon and the sun are always shining. But we in our ignorance create the hell. We in our ignorance, our greed, our anger, our ignorance create the darkness that covers that fact. From the heaven above, the great being Udraka Rumpatra fell down into the body of an otter. Tell me, where is the gain or loss? Going up, going down, getting that job promotion or finding yourself as homeless in the street like that wonderful homeless sage that Kyonin reminded us in uh, this past week. Where is high? Where is low? That sage that Kyonin met uh, 
can we learn from him in a way that maybe even the chairman of the board of a largest corporation might not be able to tell us? Where is high, where is low? But to a Buddha, all things, all beings are precious. The verse says, contending strength with frost and snow, footsteps alike in cloud and heaven. Then there are several poetic references here that are basically people, high people who were low and low people who served in high positions. And then it says, favor and disgrace do unsettle. Have firm faith in yourself. The genuine spirit mingling footsteps, mixing with fishermen and woodcutters. All I can say to you is uh, learn through this practice to see all of life, even the, the parts that don't look it as facets of the great jewel, the one pearl we were speaking of a few weeks ago. Okay. Now, you know, I'm reading the Blue Cliff Record, which is another collection of koans, and the fellow writing that um, cautions, he says, you know, Zen teachers today explain these koans too much. And he was writing, again, a thousand years ago. So he's complaining even about Zen teachers back then. He says, these other fellows, they're explaining what the koans mean too much. So I want to emphasize here that in my book, I'm walking a very fine line that needs to be walked. You meet Zen teachers who say, oh, you're not supposed to think what these koans mean at all. Just take a word from it, like, uh, how quick, how quick, how quick, and just focus on that, and then forget everything else in the story. Or the less you think about the koan, and the less you understand, the better. Because they're generally in that kind of Zen, they're trying to have a Satori or Kensho experience where the self-object is is transcended and that's their technique so they, some people run any attempt to explain these koans at all to make any kind of sense of them even if it's a zen sense which as you know zen sense and our normal everyday sense are not necessarily the same thing as you can hear from some of the crazy words coming out of my mouth about passing moons and clouds and things like that but any attempt is just is wrong yet the guy writing the blue cliff record he goes on and on for pages and pages kind of talking about the koan because what he means is if you go the other direction too and just try to understand this intellectually no good when i say that these koans have a meaning and i'm trying to point you to them you really have to feel this in your bones when i say that life is a precious jewel even the ugly parts i'm not saying it so you just understand that in your brain you really have to learn through your Buddhist practice to encounter life's beauty and ugliness as all the compassion of canon, as all the elegance of Mishihaku and the rabbit. You see, that's what it's pointing to. Don't just understand that high is low and low is high. Don't just understand my words that even the wars and the suffering and the ch children suffering in this world is actually compassionate don't understand that don't understand just on the intellectual level when i say oh but our buddhist practice is to find something that transcends all that you can kind of understand it intellectually but you really have to through this practice learn to feel it 
learn to see it. That's what we're doing when we're, we're sitting Zazen. We're learning to see this. It's when the complexities of life pass through our minds while we're sitting Zazen, the light of clarity shines and somehow we see the sun that is shining all the time through the clouds. That's one reason we're sitting Zazen, not just to relax, to have transcendent experience of wisdom, prajna, I wrote about in one koan. Sometimes, for example, I don't want to take too much time. Someone asked, what do you think about doing Zazen? Can you think about anything? And I said, well, let me give you an example. My mother died. And it really tore me up in many ways. You know, mixed feelings about it. I, I love the woman, but I was kind of relieved because she had had cancer and she was suffering for a long time. And I was kind of upset with the funeral director because the funeral wasn't as I was ordered it and it was very expensive and then I remembered suddenly memories from my childhood that my mother's death brought up and some of them were beautiful memories but some of them were suddenly some sad times and you know when you lose someone you're very much mixed up so okay that's the normal way of thinking your mother dies I'm in Zazen sitting my mother died came into my mind Suddenly there was this light, the clarity, the simplicity, the jewelness, the preciousness, the quick rabbit, the moon passing through the sky. It was so simple. It was all clear. There was nothing more to think. I want to say it was the big okay, the big okay that the Buddha gives. Sometimes you see Buddha statues going like this. That's, to me, also what we're getting through Zazen. The complexities of this world are just the shining jewel. Anyway, I don't want to do too much, but let, let's see if I can, whether one's, Genyo's one thing fits in here, because it's about not being too intellectual, but not being not intellectual enough, if you ask me. Attention, Venerable Genyo asked Joshu, where is not one thing? Where there is not one thing, what then? Our way is sometimes said to be so one that we need to even put down thought of one or two or three. It's one beyond one. Even the thought one, it's all one, man. It's all one can obstruct us if we get caught up in feeling the oneness. Even that is a thought that kind of can separate us from actually feeling the oneness. You know, if you're like a hippie from 1968 going, hey, man, it's all one. Yeah, that it sounds good when it comes out of your mouth, but do you really feel this in your bones? And do you really feel when I say it's it's so one, you don't even need the word one. The word one means there's a implies there's a two and a three, man. It's so one, it's that it's actually the one is the two and the three, and the four and the five, and the ugly and the beautiful, and the war and the peace is the one, man. You see? So uh anyway. Again, you asked Joshua, where is there not one thing? What then? Joshua replied, throw it away. Throw all that away. One beyond one. Old Master Ginyo said, with not what thing, what is there to throw away? Joshua remarked, then carry it off. I guess, I don't know. I'll leave this what this means to you. But sometimes we have to use these words like one. But we have to remember to throw them away. And at other times we have to remember to use them. 
Fiddling with shadows, toiling with forms. It's not understood that forms are the basis for shadows. Raising the voice to quiet an echo. It's not known that the voice is the root of the echo. I sometimes speak of the silence that is the noise in our way. The greatest noise, the greatest disturbance to us is silence. So, I mean, there's a peace in the greatest disturbance for us. There's human peace and human war and disturbance. But in our practice, there's a peace that holds all the broken pieces and is all the broken pieces. It's as if you, you shattered a mirror and our world was all these pieces of broken glass. Some of them round and smooth, some of them sharp and cutting and ugly. And the light of the moon shines in each one. The appreciatory verse. Uh, well, anyway, don't look for an ox by riding an ox. Don't use a wedge to remove a wedge. Be inattentive to careful moves and you lose to the opponent. These are all the chess terms. Learn for yourself that it's a shame to be surrounded due to carelessness. The game ended. An axe handle at the waist has rotted. Washing clean a bumpkin, sporting with hermits. Let's just leave that there. One beyond one. All right. Any question? Come on, you young whippersnappers. Set the old geezer straight. Yes, Shingen, you, you young buck. What is it? Well, I got this question. No. <laughs> uh, I got this, this thing kind of popped into my mind when you were talking about canon and you were also talking about, you know, the activities that we've done 100,000 times. Um, and so I was wondering, you know, when we start out on new endeavors where we seem to be more understanding of ourselves when we make mistakes, but yet when we've done things 100,000 times or many, many times, I find that sometimes we can be more critical and self-judging when we do make those mistakes. And so I'm wondering how can canon or help us move past those stages when we become well, I should have known better. Why didn't I put the coffee in the coffee pot? Why did I light those candles? Or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. hmm. So how can we use canon as a, um, as a, a practice, if you will, maybe, to help maybe us we, practice? Maybe we say canon is endlessly for, forgiving, yet asks us to do our best constantly, you know? Yeah, in, in my work, in my life, every day is a new day. I constantly make mistakes. And we need to learn to forgive ourselves, learn from it, move on. But at the same time, try not to do it again. Daniela. Don't you have to make mistakes to, well, I, I don't want to call it mistakes, but don't you have to experience the imperfect to appreciate the perfect? Um, this life uh, is uh, this perfectly imperfect thing. There's nothing in this world that's perfect, yet there's nothing in this world that's imperfect. It's all this wondrous beauty. I actually, these words that are coming out of my mouth might be an example of a teacher saying too much and they're perfectly imperfect too. Put them down and take them with you as you wish. 
but uh, we make you know we make mistakes. Hopefully, not too terrible. If I'm a heart surgeon or an airplane pilot, I can't make too many big mistakes. Yeah, but maybe maybe this not putting the coffee powder into the coffee machine makes you aware of the smell, the color, the taste of the coffee that oh. you have. Maybe being too busy to appreciate the day before. One of the things about this life is it's not frozen, and it's every constantly changing, every new moment. And every new moment, if you're hiking through the mountains, you could be the most experienced hiker, but every, every step, no matter who you are, is a chance to twist your ankle and fall right in the mud. If you're, and we do that sometimes. We all do it. No matter who you are, we all fall in the mud. And... My wife is a martial artist, and she reminds me often that there's no martial art that's not about falling down completely. There's no technique that will teach you never to fall down. What they teach in the martial arts is to fall down gracefully, hopefully to be able to get up again right away. And maybe that's the best in life. We fall. We need to forgive ourselves, learn, bounce back, and continue, hopefully not to repeat that too often. If, um, if we're truly Zen practice when you're in a monastery is they push you, push you, push you for perfection. Kionin, if you, you made a couple of bumbles today in the ceremony, if you were in the monastery, you would be scrubbing the toilets right now. Sorry. I mean, you would be in trouble. I'm going to speak to you later. You, you got a pussycat for a teacher to your detriment, perhaps. Um, at the same time, no ceremony or action in the monastery ever goes perfectly. So the lesson in this life is, and in our practice, I think is, strive to do your best and be endlessly forgiving with yourself. At the same time, if you're going to fall down, falling in the mud is one thing. Don't fall down into truly terrible actions. There's a difference between anyone getting, you know, having a bad hair day like I'm having today. It's this weather, <laughs> this muggy weather. I'm really having a bad hair day. And uh, there's a difference to any of us getting, you know, not acting so well sometimes and really robbing a bank and killing somebody and being a terrible person is one, you know, that's one thing. We say there's no terrible per people, but there are terrible acts we can engage in. But at the same time, any of us are human beings. Even if you read Dogen, I'm going to say this, and you read the sutras through all these hundreds of years, there were times when it struck me that in some of the Buddha's words, he was really having a bad hair day with some people. He would get a little ticked off for a Buddha. And Dogen, many times, about some of his essays, it seemed like he was writing the essay because he was really wagging his finger at somebody. He was, you know, especially his monks. Um, anybody messes up. Our way is, let me, let me say this again. Our way is to learn to be as careful as we can, hopefully not mess up in the big ways, but when we do mess up in the small ways because we're human beings, to be endlessly forgiving, learn from it, get up, do it again, hopefully not to repeat it too often. 
if you, you know, I made a mistake on the coffee, that's one thing. I didn't throw the coffee pot at somebody. That would be a very different thing. Okay. All right. Uh, any other question? Okay. Well, this talk today has been endlessly perfectly imperfect. And uh, I will learn from my mistakes and attempt not to repeat them. Thank you for joining us for the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.